just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. My patient population is predominantly late adolescent, young adult, college-level students, and those patients that are between 30 and 40 years of age. Yeah, it's true. I don't have a lot of postmenopausal patients, but they are out there. I get a little sprinkling every so often, and it keeps me up to date in that world of gynecology. Nonetheless, as a trained OBGYN physician, I think it's important to know the current developments in the world of gynecology in that patient population, meaning the postmenopausal age group. Because you never know when you're going to see that patient. You're going to be asked a clinical question or maybe you give, even get a consult regarding that specific issue. Well, that happened to me just yesterday, Friday, as I was leaving my practice. One of the co-workers came up to me and said, hey, listen, my guy gynecologist said that I'm about to turn 65 and I absolutely have to stop my hormone therapy at that time and I don't want to. I feel great and I've only been on it since the age of 55. So it's been 10 years. Do I have to stop it? And so my answer was very quick. First, um, I really don't want to know about your vaginal dryness since I work with you. That was my first response. (laughs) Second is, um, there are some ethical boundaries between treating friends and family members. So I'm going to give you some very general advice. But please know that I'm not treating you or overriding your physician's information because they have the full medical record. And then number three, I gave her the most current information from the North American Menopause Society. Then I thought, once again, that's a great podcast topic. (laughs) Because in May of 2022, NAMS, isn't that great? NAMS. NAMS. North American Menopause Society just released their update on hormonal therapy, on all things HRT. We've come a long way since the Women's Health Initiative, WHI, which we're going to review in this brief podcast as well. But we just know a lot more. So here's a take-home question. Do you have to absolutely stop hormone therapy at the age of 65? I mean, is it a no-brainer? Is there a line in the sand and at 65, those pills are stopped? Well, it's not that easy. Y'all ready? Let's cover NAM's update that was accepted in May of 2022 and released in general circulation July 2022. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The North American Menopause Society updated its position statement on hormone therapy that was previously released and updated back in 2017. So this is an update of the 2017 update. This was based on an extensive literature review. Hormone therapy is the most effective treatment for vasomotor symptoms, and that includes hot flashes and night sweats, and is also the most effective treatment for genitourinary syndrome of menopause. During this podcast, we're going to talk about GSM, and remember that that's genitourinary syndrome of menopause. The statement that was released in May of 2022 has been endorsed by over 20 international and national organizations. 
As a reminder, the FDA-approved indications for hormone therapy includes relief of bothersome vasomotor symptoms. Hormone therapy can also be used for the prevention of bone loss. It's also a therapy for hypoestrogenism caused by hypogonadism or surgical castration or premature ovarian insufficiency. And of course, as we've already stated, GSM is an FDA-approved indication for hormone therapy. That's the genitourinary syndrome or symptoms of menopause. Remember that the focus of this podcast is the discontinuation of hormone therapy. And the big answer here, if you're ever asked by a colleague or on the oral boards, the answer of when to discontinue hormone therapy is an individualized decision. Because, for example, if hormone therapy is begun for premature menopause, either natural or induced, for a patient less than 45 years of age, and especially if less than 40 years of age, remember that they should continue hormone therapy until at least the age of 52, which is the median age of menopause. Of course, in general, we've all been taught that for hormone therapy, use the lowest dose possible where symptom relief is still maintained and for the shortest duration possible. However, the recommendation to routinely discontinue hormone therapy in women just because of their age, in other words, age 65, is actually not supported by the data. Now, I want to say that again. The recommendation to routinely, de facto, discontinue hormone therapy in women just because they hit a certain age of 65 is not supported by the data. Now, that doesn't mean that you should automatically just begin hormone therapy in women over the age of 60 or 65. That's a different issue. Initiation of hormone therapy later in life when a patient is hormone therapy naive is a whole different situation than discontinuing medication at the lowest dose that seems to be working. Everybody clear? So discontinuation at a certain age is different than initiation above the age of 60. And we're going to tackle both of those clinical situations right now with the latest information according to NAMS. Let's say a patient goes through the perimenopausal transition and finally goes through her 12 months of absent cycles at the age of 55. Remember, 52 is just the median. Some women start earlier, some women start later. So at the age of 55 in this hypothetical situation, the patient decides to begin hormone therapy. And as we've already stated, most of us feel comfortable with a patient using hormone therapy for about five years. Well, that will take the patient's use from 55 plus 5 to the age of 60. But what if the patient wants to continue past the age of 60 and is otherwise at low risk? The decision to continue hormone therapy over 60 years of age includes important factors like the patient's quality of life, persistent or status of any vasomotor symptoms, the patient's possible risks of bone loss and fracture, and her background medical complications. I mean, if she's otherwise healthy, has an average risk of breast cancer, gets regular screening, it's not abnormal to continue hormone therapy beyond the age of 60. Again, we're going to tackle all this in much more detail coming up right now. It's very clear from the NAMS update that benefits of hormone therapy generally outweigh risks for healthy women who have bothersome menopausal symptoms, who are younger than age 60, and who start therapy within 10 years of menopause onset. 
because increasing risk is observed with advanced age and extended duration of use, women are advised to use the appropriate lowest dose possible for the shortest time needed to manage their symptoms. Because many women will experience bothersome vasomotor symptoms for many years, long-duration hormone therapy may be needed, and an arbitrary age-based stopping rule is not clinically appropriate. Here's a clinical pearl. Frequent vasomotor symptoms persist on average about 7 years, and for many women, more than 10 years, and this affects quality of life. In a study of Swedish women aged older than 85, 16% still reported hot flashes at least several times per week. You gotta be kidding me. Older than 85, you'd think those things would stop by then. Actually, up to 8% of women continue to have hot flashes for 20 years or longer after menopause. So to arbitrarily say at a certain age you have to stop de facto, not only is it kind of rude, it's insensitive to these patients who are suffering from these vasomotor symptoms. All right, podcast family, but nonetheless, right, let's be transparent. There's still some important questions related to long-duration hormone therapy that are just still unanswered by the available data. I mean, let's be honest. The Women's Health Initiative, WHI, which is the longest adequately powered blinded RCT, was still only limited to five to seven years of therapy. In the WHI, initiating hormone therapy in women older than age 60 or more than 10 years beyond the onset of menopause, was associated with greatest risk, and initiating hormones in women older than age 70 was associated with the highest risk. But it's not known whether women who initiate hormone therapy at the time of menopause and continue use at older ages will have the same level risks as women who initiate hormones later in life. So that's a huge disclosure. And we said at the beginning, right? Initiation later in life is different than continuation later through life. The WHI studied also only one formulation of oral hormones that was conjugated equine estrogen with or without medroxyprogesterone acetate. My goodness, we've got a lot more options now. Observational data suggests lower CVD risk, including venous thromboembolism and stroke risk, with other hormone formulations and routes of administration. These include transdermal estradiol, lower-dose estrogens, and of course, different progestins. This reduction of risk through the appropriate choice of dosing, formulation, and route of administration becomes increasingly important as women age and with longer duration of therapy. Factors that should be considered include the severity of the patient's symptoms, the effectiveness of alternative non-hormonal and lifestyle interventions, and of course, the underlying risk for osteoporosis, underlying risk of cardiovascular heart disease, or cerebrovascular accidents. It also has to take into account two big factors, the risk factors for VTE and of course, breast cancer. Ah, it's all about risks and benefits, right? So the patient is otherwise low risk, otherwise healthy, non-obese, average risk of breast cancer, and she's feeling great. The decision is just de facto stop. You see how it becomes not so clear. 
the decision regarding duration of treatment and when to stop hormone therapy has to be considered in the context of the patient's individualized risk-benefit profile also with the patient's personal preferences. Oh, how ABOG loves those keywords, right? Individualized risk-benefit ratio, women's preferences. These are all not just keywords, but they're actually great ways to personalize and individualize care. By the way, as an aside, totally not what we're talking about, but regarding prenatal care, we now know that the traditional model of prenatal care, like every 12 to 14, uh, I mean, 12 to 14 visits total for prenatal care and four weeks for the first part of pregnancy and then two weeks after 28 weeks and then weekly after 36 weeks, that was very rigid. That first model came out in the 1930s. We now know that we can individualize prenatal care based on the patient's risk. So patients who are at, quote, average risk of pregnancy issues may actually be able to be seen less than that. So there's a lot of things changing. That whole prenatal pathway is called the PATH algorithm or the PATH option. And we're going to get into that maybe in a separate podcast. But the whole key point of how it relates here is individualized, personalized care based on the patient's risk factors. That was a total tangent because I wasn't planning on talking about prenatal care as we talk about menopause, but nonetheless, there we are. Podcast family, as we progress in this message, remember the take-home message is that there's a difference between initiation of hormone therapy over the age of 60 and extended use beyond the age of 60 or 65. Initiation of hormone therapy in women older than age 60 or more than 10 years from menopause has complex risks and requires careful consideration. We got to remember that there's other medical issues that could present over the age of 60 or more than 10 years from menopause with vasomotor-like symptoms. This could be obstructive sleep apnea. Yeah, that can actually present with new-onset vasomotor-type symptoms throughout the day hyperthyroidism, carcinoid syndrome, leukemia, lymphoma, Lyme disease, TB, and even HIV are all medical complications that can present similar to new onset vasomotor symptoms in older women. That's why we got to make sure that we're not missing something else and not just giving hormone therapy to these women greater than 10 years from menopause. Medications or substance use can also trigger similar symptoms. Some of the substances that may be confused with vasomotor symptoms include some side effects from antidepressants, some hypoglycemic agents, or a withdrawal from alcohol or maybe even opioids. So be careful with initiation of hormone therapy in patients as new starts who are 60 years of age or older or who are more than 10 years from menopause. Be careful. Now, that's a great contrast to extended use over the age of 60 or, like in our case presented here, over the age of 65. In general, there's no general rule for stopping systemic hormone therapy in women who are otherwise healthy at a certain age just because of that age cutoff, specifically 65. The recommendation to routinely stop hormone therapy in women at a certain de facto age, like 65, is actually not well supported by the evidence and is actually not recommended or supported by the American College of OBGYN or the North American Menopause Society. 
Now, it's important to note that continued use of hormone therapy in healthy young women older than 65 who are at low risk for breast cancer and low risk for other medical complications is actually limited, though, by insufficient evidence regarding the safety, risks, and benefits. Now, I know that sounds scary, but we have to remember that for otherwise healthy women who have persistent vasomotor symptoms, that quality of life is just being affected by these things, continuing hormone therapy beyond the age of 65 is, quote, according to NAMS, reasonable option, end quote, with the appropriate counseling and regular assessment of risks and side effects. And this should be part of patient, here's another key word, quote, shared decision making, end quote. Man, I'm dropping all my quarter, five cent words in this podcast. Yeah, I mean, those are stuff everybody likes, right? Individualized care, personalized care, risk-benefit ratio. My goodness, shared decision-making. These are all not just, as I mentioned before, not just sound good words or sound bites. They are actually important concepts here. And we've got to get out of the rut of one way fits all because medicine isn't that way. Now, here's a clinical pearl. Remember, it's all about intent, why you're continuing. I mean, the patient is happy, otherwise low risk, and is having terrible vasomotor symptoms with a reduction in hormone therapy, then that's okay. So use it for the right indication. Again, here's the clinical pearl. Long-duration hormone therapy use and use in older women is not appropriate. Let me say that again. It's not appropriate just for the reduction in risk of cardiovascular disease or for dementia. It's also not appropriate just for bone protection because you've got other options there. So when providing hormone therapy to older women, all of us as clinicians have to be vigilant about risk stratification and this issue of picking the lowest dose possible and hopefully picking non-oral routes because we know that transdermal options, transdermal routes of administration have a much better safety profile than traditional ones that are oral. And please, podcast family, remember that if a patient's primary complaint is GSM, that's genital urinary syndrome of menopause, vaginal dryness, just dyspareunia with penetration, then my goodness, please try to take away something systemic and focus on vaginal therapy because low-dose vaginal therapy has minimal systemic absorption and is absolutely the first-line therapy for GSM when indicated. Now that we're at the end, we've got to talk about discontinuing therapy when it's needed. We talked about continuing therapy, but how do you discontinue? Do you just stop it or do you taper it down? Well, this is a great place for us to remind ourselves that remember that the key adage still has validity here. Try to do the lowest dose, shortest duration possible. And if not tolerated, the ability to extend care, to, ex to extend this use of hormone therapy becomes an option. But again, we should still use shortest time possible if it's possible. Based on findings from WHI, breast cancer risk did become detectable after three to five years in women who were using estrogen progestin therapy in the formula that we've already discussed. That was conjugated equine estrogen and MPA, medroxyprogesterone acetate or Provera. For women without a uterus, though, who use estrogen therapy alone in WHI, breast cancer risk did not increase after seven years. So a longer duration of therapy may be acceptable for those on ET, that's estrogen therapy alone. 
There are few studies to guide the optimal way for women to stop using hormone therapy and how to mitigate the chance that VMS, that's vasomotor symptoms, will return. Nonetheless, regardless of you taper down or stop abruptly, about 50% of women who stop hormone therapy will have a resurgence of vasomotor symptoms. That's why it's important to know if, if continuation is an option. And the answer is yes. Data directly comparing the effects of abrupt discontinuation with slowly tapering regimens are just lacking. Although clinical experts generally advise gradually decreasing hormone therapy to prevent a bounce back or a quick surge up of vasomotor symptoms. And as one of the last clinical pearls for this episode, although vasomotor symptoms generally improves with time, genitourinary symptoms of menopause worsen with prolonged estrogen deficiency. So women should be provided with treatment options on stopping systemic hormone therapy that can help alleviate things like vaginal atrophy because, as we've already stated, vaginal low-dose estrogen is pretty darn safe. Observational studies have confirmed the long-term safety of low-dose vaginal estrogen therapy, and it's highly effective for the treatment of genitourinary symptom of menopause. And for the oral boards, when asked about continuing or discontinuing hormone therapy, here's a nice, not just PC answer, but the correct answer in this situation. Quote, in the absence of any contraindication, a patient should determine her preferred hormone therapy formula, dose, and duration of use with ongoing assessment and shared decision-making with her healthcare professional. End quote. And after that, you say, Mike, drop, because that's a great way to answer that question. Well, podcast family, we have summed up the latest North American Menopause Society, NAMS, clinical update that just came out two months ago and was put in circulation this month, which is July 2022. We've talked about continuing hormone therapy beyond a certain age cutoff when clinically indicated. And we've also talked about initiation past the age of menopause. Those are two very different things. Once again, I hope you found value in this podcast. We may do another one still based on this NAMS update in the future that covers clearing up the data about things like estrogen therapy or combined therapy and breast cancer or endometrial cancer risk because we've known a lot more information since WHI. But we'll leave that for that next episode. As always, we're thankful for you all. Thanks for sending in your, your kind messages, your podcast ideas, your suggestions, and just having an open conversation about what you do. I love hearing that stuff. Anyway, thank you for what you do. Have a great rest of your day, evening, afternoon, or middle of the night, whenever you're listening. And we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.